0: You're listening to the Co-Main Event podcast and now your hosts Ben Folks and Chad Dundas.
1: That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts podcast. I'm your co-host Chad Dundas from bleacherreport.com and joining me as always From MMA Junkie and USA Today, it's your friend and mine, Mr. Ben Folks. Ben, how you doing this week? I'm doing all right. How you doing? I'm doing good. We're still mired in this downtime, where, as you might say, ain't shit going on. Hashtag ain't shit going on. You know what? I revel in the break, though. I I, think that it's. I bet uh, you do.
2: I believe that about you.
1: It's much needed. How about you? What do you? You're one of these guys that's chomping at the bit to get back into watching Dustin Poirier and and. And John Duffy fight in the middle of the afternoon on the FightPass.com, aren't you? Who, who's who's fighting again? Isn't it Dustin Poirier and and, and, and Joseph Duffy? Oh right, yeah. Main well. event.
2: There you go. Main event. Well, Jeff. let's
1: not get crazy. <laughs> we're gonna stretch the term main event as far as we possibly can. I guess I, I like. I let's don't, simply call it the last fight of the afternoon. Okay. How about that? That's got a ring. Did to it. you
2: notice that even Joseph Duffy admitted that he was pretty surprised to be in a UFC main event?
1: No. <laughs> but uh, we're all surprised. Yeah.
2: It's he can, be, he can be
1: surprised along with all of us. I'm just going to go ahead and call him John Duffy from now on. Okay. That'll be okay, right? Yeah. For the, the rest of his UFC career. Yeah.
2: I look forward to when he becomes a UFC champion, John Duffy. Johnny uh, Duffy? Yeah. And then he uses the occasion of uh, his post-fight speech to call you out.
1: Let's Here, I'll make you and this co-main event podcast listeners a solemn vow. Okay. okay here we go. When John Duffy becomes UFC light heavyweight champion, I will learn his name.
2: <laughs> well, I already told you his name, so now you're just being obstinate. So you're saying that all he has to do to get you to call him by the name he was given at birth is become UFC champion. That's it. Yeah, something like that. Well, Chaz Dundas drives a hard bargain, but uh, that seems fair to me.
1: Ben, as they so often are, this episode of the Co-Main Event Podcast is brought to you by DraftKings.com. You're an MMA fanatic and proud of it. You know all the fighters and you watch all the fights. You keep up to date on the latest MMA news and it's time to put your knowledge of the sport to the test at DraftKings.com. At DraftKings, you could win huge cash prizes every time you play. Just select five fighters, stay under the salary cap, outscore your competition, and you could be on your way to a massive payday. Score points for significant strikes, takedowns, advances, knockdowns, and more. These are the biggest daily fantasy MMA contests anywhere, and only DraftKings has them. Play to win your piece of $1 billion in prizes that DraftKings is giving away this year. Ben, tell them what to do so they don't get left out.
2: Well, Chad, you hurry to DraftKings.com now and use promo code CME to play Daily Fantasy MMA for free this weekend during UFC Fight Night 76. DraftKings.com, the office daily fantasy sports partner of the UFC. Enter CME to play for free now at DraftKings.com. That's DraftKings.com. Yeah,
1: so we're we're going to keep it a little bit loosey-goosey. Again, on this this week's episode of the Co-Main Event Podcast. Would you describe today's show as a grab bag? It is going to be a grab bag just full of whatever. Basically, what we're going to do, Ben, is we're going to do another all questions considered episode of of the podcast. We're going to do as much listener mail uh, as we have, as we can, as we deem worthy. About halfway through the show at the bottom of the hour, our friend Sir Nigel Longstock is going to stop by. We're going to play a little Master Tweet Theater uh, if we wind up with some time left over, we'll go ahead and talk a little bit about uh, Dustin Poirier and, and Joseph Duffy. Or maybe we'll get a question about that.
2: Or we'll just talk about whatever the hell we want to. Or
1: we'll talk about Because it's a we grab want. bag, motherfucker. It's, it is a grab bag. That's right. You might even call it a mystery episode of the Co-Main Event Podcast. You, you don't know what's coming. Could be anything. Yeah. Ben, we're about one month out right now from uh, the second ever CME Book Club. Oh, that's right. So, how, how's your progress on To Light Us, To Guard Us by UFC light heavyweight Sean O'Connell? I've read some of that. I've read some of it. How about you? Nope. Not a word yet. Need to uh, get that on my Kindle and dive in. I hear it's a lengthy read. It is. So
2: you might want to get started. You be, in particular.
1: I'm going to be pulling down some long hours, I guess. Yeah. I'm curled up. Good thing the weather has turned. There you go. So, I'll be looking forward to curl up in a blanket with a nice steaming cup of cocoa.
2: Light a fire.
1: And I'll be reading to light us, to guard us.
2: Call the fire department once you realize you do not have a fireplace
1: in your home. Let's get started with this. Do you want to ask the first question or should I? I'll ask the first question. Okay, you go for it.
2: This one comes from Randy Ina, who begins, philosophical question. And why wouldn't he? Because it's a grab bag. That's right. Let's start things off with a philosophical question. If a fight happens on Fight Pass, does it make a sound? signed a non-Fight Pass subscriber who will not see Paige Van Zandt versus jo- Joanne Calderwood. And he finishes off imbibe. Now, I know you saw this, that the December 10th, uh, Fight Pass event in Las Vegas, the one that's kind of sandwiched between, I believe, two other events. Um, this one is headlined by Paige Van Zandt versus Joanne Calderwood. And they just added today the, the male Paige Van Zandt Sage Northcutt is going to fight Cody Pfister on that same card. Now, to me, the first thing I thought was, interesting choice to take these two young fighters who you really want to promote and build and you feel like they could be your future superstars, and you put them on your online streaming service. Like, is that a play to get people to order that? Because I question whether those fighters are at that point in their career right now. They, right now, seem like this is the time when you should be trying to get them huge exposure so that it pays off later on down the road. It doesn't seem like they're the people who somebody is going to sign up and get a, a subscription just to see them. Yet.
1: Yeah, it feels like kind of a particularly on uh, on Sage Northcutt. It feels like kind of a rush job, don't you think? Like the the promotional push behind Sage Northcutt, like Paige Vanzant. I guess compared to Sage Northcutt, Paige Vanzant is a grizzled old veteran of the UFC. Uh, at least she's been around for a while. Uh, we've been treated to her pictorials and her beating up some, some people were led to believe are her peers. Sage Van Zandt, uh, or Sage Northcutt, see there, I just did it. That's going to happen a lot. Uh, Sage Northcutt just showed up on the scene. He's got all of one win in the UFC. Uh, they're already filming, like... Uh, I don't know, a vine of him or whatever, announcing his fight was going to be on the Fight Pass. Did you watch that today? No. It looked very much like he was accepting like a Nickelodeon Teen Choice Award <laughs> or something like that. From Like he couldn't be there in person, so it was via satellite from his hotel room. Uh, but I think you're right. They don't seem like they have reached the level that people will will flock in droves to the thefightpass.com to sign up. I wonder if it is more a sign... Well, it's probably. I think you're probably right. It's probably a sign that... that uh, they're trying to funnel some more uh, marketable talent on onto the They recently brought in a new director, right? A new guy to run the FightPass.com. Uh,
2: Just keep saying the
1: But it's also well, I get a nickel okay. every time, every time I say it. Uh, it's also a sign that maybe no one is safe from the fightpass.com, right? Cause we were just going to have before, uh, Stipe Miocic got injured and had to drop out of this fight with Ben Rothwell this weekend in the co main event. Those guys for a potential heavyweight number one contender-ish fight was going to be on the fightpass.com. So, you know, like they did with Alexander Gust- Gustafson when they were first trying to get us hooked on the service, maybe, uh, maybe this is a sign that some of those people are going to show up on the streaming service now and again.
2: Yeah. And it's one of those things, too, where we can't be both kinds of jerks. We can't be the kind of jerks to say, there's nobody on Fight Pass. Why the hell would I pay for it? And then also, what are you doing putting good people that somebody might actually want to watch on Fight Pass?
1: Right. It's a catch 22 for the jerks out there.
2: It is. You have to choose which kind of jerk to be, which is always difficult. Um, I also wonder how much of it is due to these, reports we hear and i heard a lot when i was working on that fighters association story that the usc is just so overcrowded with fighters right now and just trying to find people fights uh is a pain in the ass and you kind of have to stick them wherever you can if even if that means a the fightpass.com event and i'm sure you saw that a bunch of dudes just got cut Uh, And then started doing the thing on Twitter where everyone informs their fans that they've just been cut and thanks the UFC somehow for the opportunity. Um, Except for uh, Matt Van Buren, who I don't know if you you saw him. Former President of the United States, Matt Van Buren? No. Oh, Close, though. Um, I think he told a story basically that he got hurt, had to pull out of a fight. The UFC wanted him to fight a teammate. His coach said, please don't do that. He didn't. And then he got cut. Uh, and then he sends out this tweet uh, a couple of days ago on a positive note. I'm now unemployed so I can get food stamps. Hashtag winning. Kind of going the other way with yeah, the uh, – Not
1: keeping it positive. Yeah. Although – Not thanking anyone for the opportunity. Way to go! Way to keep it real though. Indeed. Matt Van Buren. Indeed. The next question this week comes from Sean from Japan. He writes, so the Nick Diaz petition managed to get a late surge in order to reach 100,000 signatures before October 14th. I even signed it. I'm a U.S. citizen living abroad to do my part. After I signed, I decided to look at some of the other signatories uh, and noticed that about a dozen persons with the initials HM had all signed with within 100 entries of each other. And each had a zip code, uh, one number off from the other all in the northwest suburbs of Chicago. I hate to pee in Nick Diaz's celebratory bong water, but if, that, if it's that easy to fake signatures, how important could this petition really be? Okay, well, we, we were talking
2: about the petition a little bit off air. Yes. And you seemed like you were really dismayed at the extreme likelihood that it will lead to absolutely no action.
1: Well, I wouldn't I think say that's dis- not the point. I wouldn't say dismayed. I would say I was amused that this is like the most mixed martial arts thing of all time. to For everyone to get fired up and there to be this groundswell of support surrounding this petition to hashtag free Nick Diaz, to get the 100,000 signatures for the White House petition, like all to to, to like make sort of a, a meaningless gesture and to cause... A White House interned chuckle as he dragged it directly into the trash, like on his, (laughs) on his MacBook. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's a, it's a symbolic gesture, right? Yes. Absolutely. It's entirely a symbolic gesture. Well, because of the fact that there are people on here signing it a hundred times clearly, as Sean from Japan points out, you can't even really like use it. You can't. You couldn't even be Nick Diaz's lawyer and, like, show up in court and cite this as, like, a show of support for your fighter without opening the door for the Nevada State Athletic Commission to point out this thing's a joke, like a bunch of people signed it a hundred times. You know, I don't really have a problem with that because I understand the impetus that people, they
2: want to make noise with this thing. They feel like it's an injustice and they want that to be addressed somehow. Obviously, it's not like... A, Obama is not going to be like, you know what? I've looked into this Nick Diaz thing, and he got straight up screwed. Yes, overturned, bitches. Nick Diaz, you're free to go. I'd like to see you fight. uh, I like 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 I like like to see see in in uh, maybe a fight pass event coming up. I just subscribed. I'm Ah. really excited about it. You know that's that's not going to happen. I don't think anybody really thinks that. And these things, I mean, I looked into it a little bit to write a story about it back when. The petition was kind of stuck at like sixty thousand some signatures, kind of. And I asked several people who had signed it, like, "What do you, what do you want out of this? Why are you doing this?" And I looked at the history of some of these, and only a few of them have led to some kind of concrete action. Usually, it is either like something kind of silly, like when people wanted uh, the U.S. government to build a Death Star. And then the Obama administration had fun with that one and replied and explained why, all the reasons why they did not think it was a good idea to build a Death Star. But then other ones where they're like, end puppy mills or something. And then it'll be like, you know, Obama being like, hey, I think that Congress should take action on this puppy mill thing. And like that seems to be the most you can hope for is that the Obama administration will say that they hope somebody else will do something about this. And with this, I don't even think you're going to get that. No,
1: hell no. They won't acknowledge this in any way. Well – but see the thing is I, I I don't
2: think this is about the answer. This is about the effort for everybody. I mean, I hope I'm sure there's some people out there who are dumb enough to think that like they're sitting around right now waiting to hear like all right, Obama balls in your court.
1: Right. Yes. What are you gonna do? Yeah. Uh
2: but I don't think I think that the majority of people realize, like, hey, this we were doing this for us, like, internally, uh, to kind of make our feelings known. And the only danger I think there is in that is that if you do that as a substitute for concrete action like if you do that and think okay that one's taken care of did my part on it now we can stop thinking about it and i mean because i do think that stuff like this is a problem like you need some kind of uh pushback when you have like a regulatory body like that doing stuff that just doesn't make sense like but i think that the only way they're going to solve that one is in court
1: it just seemed to me like there are so many bigger problems in the sport that receive almost no collective action and then it's impossible to reach any kind of consensus about and it was just so fitting to me that like the number one mixed martial arts social media snowball of recent memory was this this petition like I wish we could do this about any almost anything else
2: you're saying White House White House petition to get knees on the ground
1: yeah sure even that (laughs) (laughs) Like, you know, T.J. Grant, he seems pretty messed up. He works at a mine now instead of being a mixed martial arts fighter. Not even an American, Chad. Well, I'm not talking. You know what, Ben? I'm not even talking about the idea of doing a stupid White House petition (laughs) because that's bullshit. (laughs) So you're talking
2: about a petition to the Canadian prime minister? Yes, I'm
1: talking about a Canadian
2: petition. All right. I can get behind it.
1: I'm talking about almost anything that would lead to some direct action to help almost anyone in the sport. We've never done that before. Instead, what we're going to do is just have a bunch of people forge various signatures on a totally meaningless document.
2: And not even really bother to put any effort into hiding the fact that they're doing that. That's what, that's what gets to me.
1: All right. Ask you the next question.
2: Okay. Uh, this one comes from Andrew Millington. He writes, so this newest Mayhem Miller news is super depressing. Do you guys think there's a chance he could have suffered a traumatic brain injury through his career? He's always come off as a surprisingly intelligent in interviews, what with the ADHD vibe he exudes. But it seems like his impulse control is completely non-existent now. Side note, was any information ever delivered from the partnership between the UFC and the Cleveland Clinic? Discuss.
1: Yeah, to be honest with you, I didn't even, I couldn't even bring myself to delve into this latest, like the particulars of this latest Mayhem Miller arrest. I know that he was arrested for fighting the cops. I believe he was charged with, like, assault with a deadly weapon or something like that. Uh, assault on a police officer. One of those things. Well, something bad. Uh, and I was struck by kind of, like, the finality of this latest happening and, uh, this, the sadness of it because, you know, like it says in the question, uh, uh, Jason Miller was at one time regarded by me and I think regarded by you as like an intelligent guy, a good guy, uh, a good interview, uh, an honest guy. Um, and it seems like that that person has been caught up in in something larger and something that over time has become more sinister and, and more depressing.
2: Yeah. You know, when I was watching that uh, Real Sports that they did about – domestic violence in MMA Mm -hmm. and he was on that acting Mm -hmm. extremely crazy and you know and I knew him pretty well uh when he was an active fighter and um my wife knew him fairly well too you know when he was one of those guys you could see him out at stuff and you could talk to him like a regular person like what like other than a lot of other fighters who who you can't really say that about and I remember my wife and I watching that real sports and her observing you know the guy you can see that guy still in there somewhere but he's not at the controls anymore. Like, he's... The the old mayhem is visible through that, that fog, but it doesn't seem like that's the mayhem who's making the decisions anymore. And I don't know. I mean, I think it's dangerous to stand around and say, well, it's probably something with his brain because he was punching the head. I mean, it could just be that he was always... Like, one of the things we liked about him was that he was kind of a crazy dude, and maybe that sprang from some real thing going on, and then that thing got out of control. Who knows? Um, but... I think that it's one of those things where this the depressing thing about it is that he did seem like such a smart guy. And you think, like, there's got to be some kind of help out there for him. Like, yeah. I don't know if it's medication or, or therapy or something, but it just seems like he's not headed that way. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that's really disturbing. It's not like, okay, he had one of these instances and then... Uh, we're going to find out what the problem is and, and try to address that. It just seems like it's going to get worse and worse until something terrible happens.
1: Yeah, and like you said, it would be like dangerous and incorrect for us to try to diagnose exactly what has happened to him physically or, or whatever, but it does seem like a case. And this happens to people in in different walks of life that experience some manner of fame that then does not result and how they they imagined it kind of like they, they basically get the impression that they've been kind of chewed up and spit out by whatever their vocation was and 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 fighting will do that and fighting will definitely do that and professional sports will do that and fighting is probably one of the the more damaging professional sports in terms of having that happen to people but that just kind of seems like what has happened to to jason miller to me when i see him like he, at some point he slipped down some kind of rabbit hole whether that be you know uh he- head trauma or lack of medication or just substance abuse yeah whatever it is self-medication yeah just something something went off the rails
2: that's that's where the cleveland clinic thing um i mean i don't know to what extent we can call it a partnership it was mainly just the ufc encouraging fighters to go participate in the cleveland clinic study and the cleveland clinic was in, in, in exchange giving them uh free mris to help them with uh athletic commission licensing um so that they didn't have to pay for them themselves but uh it seems like that thing is going to be ongoing, and from the last time I talked to the Cleveland Clinic people, they said it, it's going to take a while before they have any real concrete results to report. Basically, the the thing they knew that, or the thing that they thought they had shown the last time I talked to them was that the more fights you have, the more likely you are to have decreased brain volume in certain areas, uh, and that it seemed to be slightly worse for boxers, but pretty comparable and i do think that we're going to get into the same thing that the nfl is experiencing now where you know you can't really find out that somebody has cte until you cut their brain open after they're dead Uh, but i think that we are probably going to end up being surprised and dismayed uh, if we start doing that with deceased mma fighters years down the road because it only makes sense that those guys get hit in the head a lot if it happens to nfl players it's probably happening to fighters too and it it is like you I can't remember which NFL player but uh, somebody like his family was talking about. You know, for years, it just seemed like he was an asshole. And one of his kids was saying like – Was
1: that Junior Seau? Maybe it
2: was Junior Seau. I don't know. but Or maybe it was more than one of them. But them saying like after his death, learning that he had CTE and trying to reconcile like for years, I thought my dad was just a terrible prick. And now I learn like he had a brain disease that might have been making him behave that way. And having to reconcile that, I think there's, we're probably going to go through some of that in MMA in the years to come. It's just a matter of when and the how next, often.
1: The next question this week comes from Josh Montgomery. He writes, "So two of the bigger stories in MMA now are the Dillashaw Faber Alpha Male fallout, and Ronda Rousey's mom going on a rant against Ronda's coach Edmund Tar." And Then it says spell question <laughs> mark. Not even going to try nope. the rest of it. No, nope. okay. I was thinking, can we just call him Edmund Targaryen? Can we just go ahead and a <laughs> man that? Edmund Targaryens? Yeah. I just wanted to try tying this together. I've always wanted to ask you homies a question about gym jumpers. People like Todd Duffy, for one, who seems to have trained at every big gym in the industry. There's plenty more to name. Melvin Gillard, Clay Guida, Gray Maynard, John Fitch, to name a few. Most gym jumpers all seem to have one thing in common. They usually are on a downward spiral. Two I can think of lately are Jake Ellenberger and Travis Brown jumping To Edmund's gym. In my opinion, I think Jake has regressed very badly under Edmund's tutelage. He looks gun shy and timid and has been getting KO'd when he always used to be the KOer. Travis was KO'd in his last affair. So comparing Rhonda, who has had tremendous success under Edmund, who otherwise seems to be a bad choice as an MMA coach, to TJ, uh, who had tremendous success at Alpha Male, do you think a non gym jump is better for Rhonda compared to what the jump will be for TJ? Please discuss that. Not actually sure what the question is there. Okay. But maybe we could address both things because both of them did make headlines this past week. Obviously, uh, TJ Dillashaw has gone from uh, alpha male to team elevation. Elevation in fight team. Elevation fight team in Colorado. We talked about that a little bit last week, but the feud has been ongoing between him and Uriah Faber. Both of them uh, said some mad nasty things about each other this week and now are just sort of openly talking about the idea of fighting, uh, and also Ronda Rousey's mom, uh, kind of ripped into her coach, uh, as
2: Edmund Targaryens. Edmund
1: Targaryens as being the, kind of like the mystery man that she's been talking about for a while, right? Like she's been saying weird leading stuff about Rhonda having someone bad around her for a while, and now it's kind of been revealed as, uh, As Edmund Targaryen's. And here we thought it was Travis Brown. The Red Dragon. (laughs) (laughs) Okay,
2: I think the question about gym jumpers is it can be a chicken and the egg problem. Mm -hmm. Because I think what usually happens is that the people who start doing a lot of gym jumping are probably already on a downward spiral, uh, which is why they feel like there's some problem and I need to address it. And whether they're addressing the right problem or not, we see that a lot in different facets in MMA where you feel like, I don't know what's happening, I'm not winning, I'll drop a weight class, or I'll go up a weight class, or you know I'll change gyms, or I'll give up junk food. or you know People come up with these different things to try to address the problem, and sometimes it's just like a psychological fix. You need to tell yourself that you're doing something and that it's going to turn out differently next time, whether you're doing the right thing or not. Uh, I don't know if it's necessarily a thing where you go to different gyms and then you lose. I, I don't, Especially with TJ Dillashaw's situation, it seems like that's way more of a financial decision on his yeah. part than it is that he feels that he's not getting some, some training that he needs at Team Alpha Male.
1: Yeah, and it, I, I would agree though that it's awkwardly timed for TJ Dillashaw to, to make this jump, even if, you know, he's doing it because Elevation Fight Team basically made him an offer he couldn't refuse. It sounds like they're going to pay him money to go up there and train. Uh, but I think the sub the subtext is that he's also going up there to be closer to Dwayne Ludwig, a coach that, that he likes a lot, that he feels has really improved his stand-up game, who has also recently had a falling out with Uriah Faber. Um, so it's sort of like maybe a two birds with one stone kind of thing for T.J. Dillashaw. But it's not the you, the kind of move that I would think you totally would want to make leading up to. What could turn out to be your most difficult and high profile title defense against Dominic Cruz if he is able to remain healthy and uh, make the date that we think that they have scheduled in in January. That just seems like, uh, you know, with Dillashaw, the formula you've had at Alpha Male was working, even if Dwayne Ludwig was a big part of it, and and he probably won't be there anymore anymore. maybe he's trying to choose the best the best path to keep Dwayne Ludwig and lose Alpha Male but but like losing anything from a formula that that had been working seems like an awkward thing to do leading up to this particular fight.
2: Yeah, well that makes me think about one of the things that uh Ronda Rousey's mom said about why she thinks Ronda continues to train with your man Edmund Targaryens. The Red Dragon, uh, the red dragon is she says, you know, it's like a pitcher who throws a no hitter wearing red underwear and then re- wears the red underwear every time he pitches. And I can see some of that where if you're TJ Dillashaw and you think, all right, Dwayne Ludwig maybe acting kind of like a weirdo outside the gym and maybe all the other guys at Team Alpha Male don't like him, but if you remove him from the equation, does that mean I'm going to have trouble in my fight? And it seemed like maybe he like TJ Dillashaw thought, okay, I can go out there, I can take this offer with the elevation fight team, I can get my training in, uh, with Dwayne in Colorado, and I could still come back sometimes to Team Alpha Male and train there. And then he was told, no, bro, that's not how it works at Team Alpha Male. And understandably he probably so. probably
1: was literally told, no, bro. <laughs>
2: uh, so you can understand why they would tell him no, bro, in that situation. Uh So maybe he thought he could find a way to keep everything, kind of have his cake and eat it too here. But I agree it's one of those things you don't know exactly how that's going to play out. I hope for his sake that it's okay. It turns out all right, because uh, I can understand why a guy in that situation would be like, people are going to offer to pay me to train. Okay. I need, I could use some money. I won't be able to do this forever. Uriah Faber doesn't care because Uriah Faber is rich. He doesn't have to worry about stuff like this. I'm still in it trying to uh, make as much money as I can, as fast as I possibly can. Um, So I can't, I don't feel like there's anybody who's, you can really blame in that situation. Uh, a good, except for Edmund Targaryen, except somehow. for Edgar
1: Targaryens, uh, a good turn of events for Uriah Faber, though. I I think like you know very recently it seemed like he was locked out of the title picture in all of his natural weight classes. Suddenly, you know he could potentially position himself for a fight against Conor McGregor because they just did the uh, the coaching on the Ultimate Fighter thing, and now he's he like you could slide if if Dominic Cruz got hurt, you could slide Uriah Faber into this fight with T.J. Dillashaw. And it would be a bummer that we would lose Dominic Cruz yet again, but I don't think very many people would complain. Right. Uh, And that is kind of astounding for a guy who has lost as many UFC title title fights as Uriah Faber. Um, And I know it's not true, but I was thinking of how awesome it would be if this was a giant Uriah Faber conspiracy, where years ago he was like, all right, here's what I'll do. I'll start my own gym, but the only guys I'll invite to it will be guys who are in lighter weight classes. Because if I get the best guys in the lighter weight classes in the world, one of those guys will become the champion. And once he's the champion, he and I can have a falling out. And then I will be <laughs> back in the title picture.
2: If that is true, then Uriah Faber should start his own pro wrestling organization right now. Because yes. he is, he is a he's a genius booker. Booking stuff
1: even better than WWE. Uh Ben Sir Nigel Longstock's here. We're going to play a little Master Tweet Theater. Then we're going to pick back up with uh, getting through as many of these listener mail questions as we can. Grab bag. Sorry. CME grab bag. Uh, But it's been a while since we've seen Sir Nigel Longstock. We'll be excited to hear what he's up to. That starts right now.
2: it's that time again. We welcome back to the show, friend of the podcast and noted theatricalist, Sir Nigel Longstock. Sir Nigel, how are you?
0: Good day to you, sir. I am recovering. Recovering from what? Well, as you know, sir, we were unable to secure a sponsor for the last episode of Master Tweet Theater.
2: Uh, it's interesting use of we, but go on.
0: And, well, Sir Nigel's checkbook took a hit. Oh, no. I had to survive the entire month on one foil pack of tuna salad and a can of snuff. Huh. The The trick is to mix the snuff with the tuna salad, and then the mayonnaise doesn't turn. But enough shop talk. The important thing <laughs> is that this episode of Master Tweet Theater is brought to you by the Giant Iron Swastika Corporation. Giant Iron Swastikas. The swastika that... You know, here... I, I hate to do this
2: to you because you're pretty... Clearly pretty excited about this sponsor. Here's, though, where I have to think that maybe it is imprudent for us to be advertising swastikas on our
0: podcast well you know sir that's what i thought but then i got in touch with the people at giant iron swastika i spoke right. to tad in the uh, in the poughkeepsie office okay, and he explained to me that you hang a giant iron swastika on your home or barn in order to remind you not to be a nazi
2: huh i gotta tell you i do not find that explanation convincing
0: not me.
1: I'm on board. What? Yeah, that sounds reasonable. What the hell are you talking about?
0: Well, it makes perfect sense when you think about it.
1: No! No, it does not! Do
0: you agree, sir, that the Nazis were very bad? I do. And that the things they did should never be forgotten? <laughs> I, I do agree with that. Then why would you not hang a giant iron swastika on your home to remind you? I can think of a number of
2: reasons, and I would think a reasonable person like Chad would also be able to think of a few.
1: All right, look, the truth is I am also sponsored by giant iron swastika. Motherfucker. Why did you think I was always wearing these shirts with giant iron swastikas on them? I thought it was a fashion choice.
0: Or an unrelated interest.
1: Hmm. Well,
2: I think what they've got their money's worth out of this. Can we just move on? Yes, let Christ's us begin. The,
0: the theme this week...
2: Do they not sell any moderately sized swastikas? Is it all giant?
0: I don't understand why you would want a small swastika, <laughs> Okay, sir. fine. That just seems strange. Yeah, no, that one's on me. Hmm. There's a theme for this week's episode. Oh, good. Episode. This week's theme is, thank God we invented this. This being Twitter, or this being... Twitter, the internet, human communication, all of it.
2: Okay. Again, another interesting use of we.
0: Yes, indeed. Tweet the first. Everyone is talking about MRSA lately. Check out my silver-based antibacterial armor gel to see how I avoided MRSA during my entire career.
2: Okay. So, retired fighter trying to pitch us on some kind of MRSA-fighting substance that feels like one of the Randy Coutures, does it not? I'm going to say the other Randy Couture, Rich Franklin.
1: Yeah, see, I was going to say Rich Franklin, too, because that that sounds like something he would tweet. Former juice bar impresario, yeah. Rich Franklin. Uh, but since you did, I guess I will go with... Uh, the other randy couture randy couture okay my god the level
0: of deduction is astounding it is rich franklin selling a silver based gel i can smear on myself yeah does it work uh good question i still have MRSA, but i haven't tried it yet okay (laughs) tweet the second did you know there's a doomsday vault containing millions of valuable seeds located in the arctic and they are withdrawing from it
1: already
2: Okay, I did not know that. Chad, did you know that?
1: Uh, I, I saw the uh, the news stories about it several weeks ago. Okay. You know who this feels
2: like to me? John Fitch.
1: Mm, that's a good guess. Um, I'm going to say Bisping here, though I don't know why. Okay. Both fine guesses, one eerily correct. It is Michael Bisping. Yes, yes.
2: Just wanted to do his impression. It's yes! true. Yes, may I? Go ahead.
0: Oh, goody. Did you know there's a doomsday vault containing millions of idle seeds located in the Arctic, and they're withdrawing from it already?
2: I, You know, when people say that we should do this in video form, Chad, I'm always like, no, that's a terrible idea. Until I see the face that Sir Nigel makes when he's doing his Bisping impression, I think that should be shared with the world. I just
1: blackout out during that time. It sounds like someone running for office in the 40s, like they're talking <laughs> into a huge megaphone. We have to appease both the communists and the fascists.
0: <laughs> <clears throat> tweet the third. This is a picture tweet that I will describe Oh, good. You. good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The tweet is, coconut water in Canada. And it's the tweeter in question holding up a bottle of coconut water. Okay. Just, just regular coconut water? Yes, presumably Canadian coconut water, but assume nothing
2: you know what i'm gonna say i'm gonna say living kendall sage Northcutt.
0: he's in canada right and that
2: that sounds like the kind of thing that this this corny ass fighter would be all into right just
1: he would be just astounded to have found it there yeah um i'm gonna say uriah faber because i know about his love of coconut water though i have to admit that he seems a little bit too worldly for this tweet (laughs) yes
0: both fine guesses, only one correct. It is Sage Northcutt. Boom! Part of a series of tweets with Canadian snack foods. Is it?
2: They're just a bunch of tweets of him holding up the same stuff that yes. we have here Alleged over there. Alleged
0: corny ass motherfucker, just nouns and pictures holding up snacks, coconut huh. water in Canada. Okay. He loves it there. It's almost as good as his school trip to Washington D.C. <laughs> <clears throat> Tweet the fourth. I am going to turn into candy. Hashtag step away from the candy. Hashtag seafood diet.
2: Chad, you got any thoughts here? No. uh, You're very far away from the microphone to be talking.
1: That sounds like a heavyweight? Uh, Matt Mitrione.
2: Okay. I'm going to say... I'm going to keep with your heavyweight theory, but I'm going to say a guy who recently... Lost his fight And therefore got nothing to lose Might as well eat some candy now Ben
0: Rothwell Both fine guesses Both men might as well Start mowing down on candy And both wrong It is Jessica I.
2: You love Jessica I
0: tweets As do Yes I do <laughs> That worked out differently From how it went in my mind I do love Jessica Eye's Twitter Because she is constantly Doing and saying weird shit Okay, I
2: feel like you're in danger of becoming predictable here,
0: mm, it's even true. though we
2: didn't get that one.
0: She's the one who has become predictable. <laughs> Tweet the fifth. Great meeting with the kids of ABQ today, and then several pictures of him with random groups of children.
1: Okay. yeah, we th- I think we know who that is. I think
2: that's a John Jones.
1: That must be.
0: It is,
2: crisis management specialist
0: it is john jones possibly serving his community for a specified number of hours i'm not sure
2: you know nothing warms a child's heart like when you are forced to go hang out with them via court order
0: but he's a christian kids love christians
2: yeah yeah they do
0: and he's deadly
2: Okay, well, uh, what else you got going on, Sir Nigel?
0: Well, it's funny you should ask, sir. I've just finished wrapping an exciting project about a CIA operative who learns that Scientologists are conducting a secret war against drug cartels in Colombia. I see, and what's it called? It's called Going Clear and Present Danger. And what role do you play? I play Senor Nigel, a flamenco instructor.
2: (laughs) Well, that was Master Tweet Theater, and that was Sir Nigel Longstock.
0: Thank you, sir.
2: Chad, here's a question from Jonathan Roghair. Okie dokie. Dudes! Alright, yeah, what's up, man? What's up with all this about Brendan Schaub getting rich off his flipping podcast? Seriously? Feels like I should be sporting a big brown t-shirt in that reality, not sipping from a CMB mug. You guys at all jealous? I hadn't heard that. Is he, is, uh... He claims is that... Is Schaub
1: checking bank off the podcast? He
2: claims that he's making a lot more money off his podcast than he would fighting but we should get him on the horn find out how he's doing that well i think maybe uh having your podcast pushed by fox sports and not just with your own shitty website that <laughs> you
1: don't Whoa. put any content Hold on, on bro uh yeah that's probably true you know what else probably helps is being really good friends with a guy who runs an enormous successful podcast like joe rogan that he probably, could probably does help, help you
2: out also i could see how fans of professional fighting might be more interested in hearing from a professional fighter than just two dudes who watch and talk and write about professional fighting. That would be their first mistake. <laughs> well, I mean, I do think he, you know, he's, you're, you're a little bit jealous though, right? Uh, of the money. I would like some of that money. Yes. Give it to me, please. Okay. Um, but as far as if we were to have to go head to head podcast to podcast, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade this podcast for anybody's podcast.
1: Aww. Jeez, that's sweet.
2: Except for maybe uh, This American Life. That's a good one. And Planet Money, like we mentioned. Actually, I can probably name about six podcasts that I would trade for this, but not that one.
1: Not that one. Well, you've already got the right eyeglasses. Also. If you want for us to be a little bit more like This American Life.
2: Okay. You having fun?
1: Yes, I am actually.
2: Uh, Maybe the thing for us to do to start getting some of that money is we start selling big brown t-shirts. Oh,
1: there you go. He doesn't have that shit registered trademark, does he? Let's find out. Let's let's see how many shirts we can sell before we find out. How about we do this? Let's sell a line of identical shirts that all just say the name of a UFC fighter down the back. Okay. I think those would sell
2: huge. All right. Let's charge at least twice as much as any
1: reasonable person would pay for them as well. Done deal. Next question this week comes to us from Max Binney. He writes, I enjoyed last week's question from the erstwhile MMA fan who stopped watching fights and now just consumes... MMA media. I found your opinion that this is essentially a transition out of being a fan of the sport. Interesting. I don't know that I recall advancing that theory. Was that your theory?
2: I don't know if I said the interesting, but,
1: but did you advance the opinion that that he's transitioning out?
2: Um, I don't remember.
0: I don't
1: remember either. All right, let's just go on <laughs> with the question. I am a tough ODB. After I started watching, I rented and watched all of the old ones as well. Uh, as every event as it came out. I believe I've seen every UFC event up till 2014 or so. When the UFC jumped the shark and started having daily events, I started picking and choosing events, and now I watch three to five events a year. Despite no longer really watching the fights, I still listen to this podcast, Ariel's show, the MMA Insider's podcast, Gross's show, and Chael's show, sometimes Annex.
2: Jesus, that's a lot of podcasts. Look, you, you, you could... Think of how many UFC events you could watch in the time
1: it takes you to listen to all those podcasts. Max Mini must live in a consumer... or a commuter culture. yeah. Uh, I disagree that my interest in the sport has waned or that I'm transitioning out. I think that the cost and time of it is too much for a working father. I can, well, amen to that, right? Yeah. Uh, I consider my AM my MMA fandom to now be the equivalent to my NHL fandom. I love the sport and many athletes in it, but I feel no need to commit the time uh day in and day out. I tune in when I want, and the UFC provides something compelling, just like normal fans of any other sport. You know, I think that that is kind of an interesting point, just that, uh, that does sort of make the UFC much more like many people ingest other sports. Like myself, I hardly ever watch the NFL just because it uh, occurs on Sunday when I'm out doing stuff, uh, you know, going to church yeah. and whatnot. There's six hours right there. Visiting with my youth, various youth groups. Yeah, because uh, of the court order. But because the coverage of the NFL is pervasive in our culture, uh, I'm up to date on what's happening in the National Football League. If someone, if a stranger walked up to me on the street and asked me if I was a fan of the NFL, and I thought there was some money on the line, I would probably say yes. Uh, but I hardly ever watch it, so I think that that probably is a uh, a more typical fan experience for a lot of sports, where maybe we don't consume it while it's happening anymore, but but we we still check out the media.
2: Yeah, that could be. And we got another question from uh, Sean Sean Khan, who said pretty much the same thing that a. Pretty much consumes MMA via podcasts and websites these days. Doesn't watch a whole lot. And also, though, wonders how long he'll keep doing that. Uh, And, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's weird to me because when he mentions the NHL and, like, I watch the NHL kind of recreationally. When I – found the working father thing hits home because I feel like I don't have much time to watch TV really at all other than the TV I kind of have to watch for my job. Other than that, like – I don't even really have time to keep up with a certain TV show uh, anymore. So it if you have to make me choose like what I want to do with my recreational time where I don't have anything to do and therefore could be watching TV, I feel like it's kind of hard for me, probably because of my job, to feel like, all right, watching sports on TV is a good use of my time. But every once in a while, I'll watch some uh, NHL and everything. And the thing is, I watch it as just like kind of a – distraction and i never i don't think i've ever read read anything about professional hockey online maybe one or two articles who's your team see i
1: don't i don't have a team penguins you pittsburgh penguins guy sure you look like a penguins guy okay skating around in your sydney crosby jersey
2: yeah okay i know who that is the young
1: gun said the kid
2: yeah but I, i mean i guess with fighting the thing that i wonder about how it makes it a different situation is that when there is a big pay-per-view that you might be interested in, the UFC is going to ask for $60 for you to watch it.
1: That's right. It's just the same way the NFL asks for like a bazillion dollars for the Sunday ticket. But like me personally, as a guy who doesn't watch much of the NFL, I don't buy that. So like that's for the hardcore fans. The UFC makes a much larger portion of its income. You would think off pay-per-view sales. And it depends on that. And I think when you do lose that link between the fans and that kind of hardcore, uh, support like that becomes a tougher sell because yeah. honestly that's a lot of money yeah $60 a month that's that ain't cheap
2: yeah next question next question this one comes from big will the champ big will the champ uh, we're gonna need to see those credentials though uh, the UFC can do one simple thing to sell those damn fight kits seeing as how there was so much space on the back Why in the blue hell are they not adding the fighters' logos on the back? And if there is no fighter logo, why aren't they feverishly designing one for every fighter that doesn't have one? You get to have the clean uniform look you want, but make them look different enough to warrant purchasing it. I'm sure there might be some licensing issues, but I'm sure nothing that can't be handled. But then again, anyway, love the show and let the discourse
1: begin! Uh, I know one answer to that question. Uh, laziness? Because they don't care? (laughs) Yes. I think is the answer. Uh... And we've already discussed on the show, man, if you love a UFC fighter and you want to support them, go to their website and see if they have any merch available. And if they do, buy that. Don't buy the Reebok thing. Well,
2: And conversely, for fighters, they should be a little more proactive about that, like your dude Cubby Sampson. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Who has himself a pretty good logo that really works for him, that is unique to him, and that you can really be like, all right, if you were a, a Cub Swanson fan, you'd want that. And there would make much more sense for you to drop, like, $25 on one of those T-shirts or whatever than $90 for a Reebok Fight Kit shirt that looks just like all the other Reebok Fight Kit shirts, except says his name in colors that may or may not be readable. It doesn't even say the name
1: that you know him by. Yes. <laughs> it says Kevin Sampson. Although, you got to think that they— have...
2: Swanson, we keep doing the Sampson oh, thing right. so much <laughs> that we're really going to be in danger of forgetting uh, his name. you
1: got to think that they've cleaned that up at this point, right? Oh, God, hopefully. Think? They just rolled out some new stuff Reebok did for the UFC. I saw that they have— uh, Red, white, and blue American flag print pump shoes now for Chris Weidman. And, uh, something, I think they did some something similar for Luke Rockhold. Man, selling
2: shoes for fighters or getting fighters to endorse, like, shoes is such a hard,
1: hard sell, I think. Not the least of which because they compete in bare feet. That's right. right? They don't even wear shoes. But you'd think, I guess, probably for for road work and, yeah, or like, right.
2: I guess you got to wear something when you're hitting a big tire with a sledgehammer. That's otherwise, right. <laughs> you could smash your tootsies.
1: That'd be bad. They, but I mean, they, they've got some, some more stuff over on the Reebok website now. And, and not all of it is terrible looking, but they, what you know, what I noticed is that they have like special Conor McGregor shirts and special Ronda Rousey shirts and some special shirts for some of the other people. They have a lot of Showtime Pettus shirts, which ouch, I guess, at this point. Um, <laughs> but they also make, like a, much like the jerseys that just have a fighter's name down the back, they make an identical shirt for every UFC champion. They have like a stencil with an octagon and it says "Champion" in big gold letters. A T-shirt. It's not what they wear to the to the cage. It's a different thing. But it'll say like "Flyweight Champion Demetrius Johnson." So like, just in case you happen to be a big DJ fan, you can go to the website and get the identical shirt that they also sell for Daniel Cormier. The the champion's shirt.
2: Yeah. See, I think just in general, and this is one of the problems of MMA shirts as a concept, I think it's tough to convince people to just wear a shirt that just says some person's name. Right. That's why the,
1: the Killer Cub logo kind of works. There you because go. Because if you are the kind of person that wants to wear a baseball hat and you also like Cub Swanson, it's not a bad look. Yeah. The Killer Cub logo or a Killer Cub logo T-shirt or the Killer Cub logo sticker that he slaps on your back. <laughs> Without you knowing,
2: or you know the 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 shirts that Boss Ruten used to sell and maybe still does sell, where it just says Liver Shot on the front and then on the back has you know images of him hitting people in the liver, and it's awesome because if you know Boss Ruten enough that you really associate that Liver Shot with him, uh, and it's not just like walking around with a shirt that just says Boss Ruten on it, and I think that's kind of the problem that all MMA clothiers have to find a way to get around the the Cubby Samson logo is a great way to do that, but it, like you said, it just doesn't seem like Reebok is that interested in doing it.
1: Next question this week comes from uh, Frederick Christ. He writes, "Ronda Rousey, a female icon or domestic abuser?" Question mark As regards Rousey striking her boyfriend, I don't agree that it, it's acceptable, and it was a questionable episode to recount in her book. It's hard to have too much sympathy with a character with the character involved. But she shouldn't have resorted to violence in dealing with the situation, just as a man shouldn't if the roles were reversed. Spousal abuse is seen as a bit of a one-way street, though, and you can almost guarantee that if anything, Rousey will be lauded for standing up for herself rather than come in for uh, any kind of scrutiny. What's your opinion on this revelation? Discuss, please. Yeah, um... This is another one of those co-main event podcast questions that doesn't give you a ton of context. Yeah, but I
2: I read about this one, and... We know. Yes.
1: You and I know. Well, we haven't read her book, The guy who follows MMA by only listening to this podcast may not know.
2: That's true. Well, according to people who supposedly have read the book, and have then written about what they read on uh, websites, she recounts a story of some ex-boyfriend surreptitiously taking, like, naked photos of her, maybe, while she slept? Um Which, and okay so you're dating a creep. Yeah. Um and then she beats the hell out of him. Yes. Uh kind of viciously from her own telling of yeah, it. Yeah,
1: he also present, uh, prevents her from leaving or physically attempts to prevent her from leaving the premises as part of that like back and forth, but uh if I remember correctly my reading of the uh excerpt, she she hits him first. She slaps him in the face first things first, straight off. As the opening salvo. Wow. Yeah, Uh, okay. Um, So hard her hand hurts, she
2: said. Oh, wow. Uh, Yeah, you shouldn't do that. No, that's that's bad. You should not strike people out of anger uh, in your relationships. That's just kind of a rule that you could go by. Uh, And... At the same time, I, you know, it is different. It's weird because it's different, a couple different ways. You're like, well, okay, the woman striking the man, one is not as dangerous or at least as, uh, pernicious sounding as the, the man hitting a, a woman. But then again, what if the woman is a really skilled professional fighter? Right. Then it does get, you know, we can't start trying to slice it up, uh, according to who can do the most damage necessarily. You just shouldn't do that. Uh, and it does seem like when you are when you got that going on, you tell that story
1: in your autobiography. Almost as though these MMA fighters' autobiographies reveal themselves in ways they never intended. Yeah. Mm. Kind of like Anthony Rumble Johnson writing on the
2: Facebook post about the thing he did to be a jerk to somebody at the gym. And it's like, we wouldn't have known about this if you hadn't done this. Uh, or the same way, one of the things we've talked about really enjoying about pro wrestler autobiographies is the extent to which... They think they're telling you one story about themselves, and really when you read it, you realize they were telling you a different story that they did not understand the significance of when they started telling it. Uh, and that seems like kind of the the thing here. And I think that maybe one of the reasons it's getting brought up a lot now is because she's piling around with uh, Travis Brown, her her romantic interest, who has been very recently publicly accused of domestic violence. And this is one of those things where it seems like we're right on the line of is this – legitimate news item in mma or are we just kind of gossip hounding here
1: yeah uh i'm not particularly interested in in following all the stories about it but i also understand why it is legitimate news when the biggest star in your sport is dating another known figure in that same sport um i don't think it's it i don't think it stresses too far into gossip hound territory um it would if if Ronda Rousey was dating a, uh maybe a different kind of celebrity like if she was dating Justin Bieber or something like that but like i feel like Oh, uh, you went straight to the top? Yep, Justin straight to the Bieber. Biebs. Okay. Uh i feel like almost any sports news organization would cover it if one top athlete in a sport was dating another athlete in that same sport. It's hard to think of sports with you know that that have both male and female uh, participants, but I guess it would be like if the top male tennis player was dating the top female tennis player. Not that we want to... Not that Travis Brown is the top male yeah, player. Yeah, that's what sport, I was going to ask, is
2: how far do we... How broadly do you want to stretch the de- definition of top? If Travis Brown is dating Jessica I is
1: that news? No. <laughs> I think you you might have just shot a hole in this theory. But <laughs> yes! Damn it! Anything uh, involving Ronda Rousey, though, is news. Like, it wouldn't be news... If some NFL offensive lineman was, was dating uh another and a female NFL offensive lineman, I don't know where this is going now. But like she's busy. If
2: an NFL offensive lineman was dating a uh another NFL man. defensive lineman,
1: that that's the story. story. Yeah. But like I was just Rousey's like kinda like the Tom Brady or Peyton Manning of of MMA at this point. So like whatever she does is gonna be news and her dating another fighter uh I don't know. It feels like legitimate news to me to to mention, especially because of the ins and out, the recent ins and outs of Travis Brown. Yeah. Uh, but I don't necessarily need like an update about what they do, what they're doing every Friday night. I don't need to see pictures of them at the cheesecake factory, buying <laughs> buying popcorn, shrimp, and strawberry lemonade. Travis
2: Brown's over there, like, hey, I'm a heavyweight. Keep that cheesecake coming. Uh, all right, here's one from Faraz M. I recently watched Champs, a documentary on Netflix, which looked at the lives and careers of Mike Tyson, Evander Holyfield, and Bernard Hopkins. It also touched on a lot of issues with boxing, fighter pay, health, etc., which could all easily have been said for MMA. In fact, at one point, Hopkins plainly questioned why there isn't a fighters union for boxers, like there is for almost every other professional sports league. My question: Do you think that an organization among boxers would help give MMA fighters a push to unionize, also? And do you think that fighters are thinking too small when it comes to a fighter's union? Maybe all fighters, boxers, and mixed martial artists need to unite for real change. Mm. First of all, this uh, documentary sounds interesting. It does. Why yeah. have I not heard about this? I
1: don't know. Maybe you don't have time to watch TV. I that's guess. probably too it. busy
2: raising your kids. Too busy staring at my kids if they scream at me.
1: Reading Tolida Segardas. Yes, that's taking too. up all your time. This is actually name. like kind of a compelling idea, right? To have a, a broad-based fighters' union of both boxers and mixed martial artists. So, uh, to be honest with you, it strikes me as maybe, um, let's just try to unionize one. Yeah. And then we'll, then we'll go from there. It
2: seems like their needs might be pretty different, what they would need from, a, from yeah, an association. That's possible. Also, uh, boxers have the advantage of having the Muhammad Ali Act uh, working for them, and... Mixed martial artists don't. And I think that if you were to get the Ali Act or some version of it in MMA, that could uh, be a huge change to MMA. I mean, certain business models might just become completely untenable at that point. It'd depend how it worked in, in action everything. But uh, I don't know. It seems like they have very different needs. But it, the thing that when I was working on that Fighters Association story that I kept wondering about, because on one hand, when you ask yourself about it, hey, why why shouldn't they have an association? Every other major sport has one. Like the NBA referees have a a union. The professional soccer referees have a union. And MMA fighters don't. And then when I would think about boxing, and be like, well, that sport has been around a long time, a lot longer than MMA, and they don't have one. Uh, And one of the things I heard from a lot of fighters, they said, like, oh, I think it's inevitable that eventually we'll have some kind of fighters association. And it was a differing degrees of how much they were willing to risk or sacrifice or how much effort they were willing to put in to make it happen for MMA fighters. But they all kind yeah. of maybe like a little complacent about it, thinking, well, eventually it'll just happen, because right. that's how those things go in professional sports. And then you look at boxing, and you think, that stuff doesn't just happen.
1: Yeah. Like you said, though, boxing is, is involved in a different landscape. Like, uh, we talk, we always talk about the extent to which uh, MMA fighters compete against each other in an individual sport. You might be able to make the case that boxers compete against each other in a more... Uh, an even more noticeable way just because there are many different promoters, all kind of uh, vying to put together the biggest fights that they can. Um, if anything, maybe the strong centralized power of the UFC is more of a catalyst for MMA fighters to get together and start a union than, than, than boxers. I don't know.
2: Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think that they could definitely benefit from one, uh, but I do think that like, as somebody mentioned that when we had a question on this last week, uh, as much as you want to see some of this stuff be addressed, it's up to them to do it. Nobody can do it for them. Uh, And it kind of just seems like if they don't take the action to do it, they might be like boxers a couple decades from now wondering why it never happened.
1: The Next question this week comes from Chip Pinkerton. He writes, while daydreaming during the main event of a third tier promotion, I pondered what it may take for the second tier to gain legitimacy beyond UFC expendables level promotion. How long until Viacom loses the Spartan and rebrands Bellator as Spike MMA? And how long until those mythological deep pockets actually take a shot at the UFC's ham-fisted tight shirt mafia? Wow. Uh, I was thinking about this the other day, just a couple weeks ago, when the ratings came out for the last Bellator tentpole event, obviously the one that, that was main evented by Tito Ortiz fighting Liam McGeary for the light heavyweight title. And then they had the light heavyweight number one contenders tournament. It was the Bellator dynamite event where they had the uh, kickboxing bouts as well. Uh, And the ratings were not great. And some people that I talked to seem to believe that that was like uh, equal to crushing defeat for Bellator. Um, And I started to wonder if that's even really what, what Bellator is thinking about right now and or uh, what their goal should be right now. It seems to me like if you're Scott Coker, and you're over there running Bellator and you know that to a certain extent Viacom has your back which has got to equate to a certain amount of stability in your business model wouldn't it and and looking around what's going on in the rest of the uh, mixed martial arts landscape with the class action lawsuits against the UFC and and you know um you know, federal investigations perhaps into the UFC if you were Scott Coker wouldn't the smart thing to do wouldn't it be just to kind of slow play this for a while to just sort of like have your goal to be to put on a series of dependable mixed martial arts events to not necessarily, you know, smash the ratings or or create this huge stir by going after a bunch of big time free agents, but to like just prove to Viacom that you know what you're doing and that like you can create this stable series of fighting events on Spike TV uh and just wait to see what happens because yeah. it's possible that that the uh, things could get hairier and and like the UFC could maybe as an outside possibility either jettison some of its its roster or even turn into an enormous dumpster fire and if that happened then you would want to be able to go to Viacom and say all right now it's time yeah. now it's time to unvi- unlock the 5 billion in cash i
2: you're right i think that that is the big advantage that having that partner behind you gives you is it gives you the the luxury of time that you don't have to jump out there and become huge all at once. You can hang out, you can you can see how the landscape shapes up. Uh and you're right, I do think that already I think that if you compare Bellator to this time two years ago or something, I feel like it is a better, more dependably solid product than it was then and it's not in a huge way it's not like they they jumped right up uh to be the number one mixed martial arts promotion in the world but it has gotten a little bit better and it does start to seem like fighters are thinking about it especially guys in the ufc established guys are starting to think about it a little more seriously that that might be an option to go from the ufc to bellator and i think that also if you're trying to get fighters to think that way and to think about coming over you need that time because you, you need them to be able to get out of their contracts for one thing. And you need them to, uh, be able to fight out their contracts and then get into the negotiations. You're not going to be able to do that kind of stuff overnight. I think you do that slowly. And like you said, wait to see what the UFC does in the meantime because they've got a lot of balls in the air right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I could see at some point Bellator saying, all right, it's not big check time yet,
1: but we'll let you know when it is. Right. Like you don't, You don't necessarily have to uh, put on a parade now, but you want to be ready to pounce. You want to be ready for this shit when when the shit goes down. Yeah.
2: You want to have that confetti, that streamers all ready. You don't want to have to go buy streamers at the last minute night before the parade.
1: No. If you're Scott Coker, you want to stay ready so you don't have to get ready. That's right. Right. Which I think is probably his personal philosophy anyway.
2: I bet he has that written on his mirror, his bathroom mirror and blood. Looks at it every morning when he's shaving.
1: What's your, what's your next question?
2: This one comes from Wheatland Dan. Wheatland Dan? Alright. He writes, Steep A is out and Big Ben likely has little more than a non-refundable plane ticket and some regional nonsense that Rothwell MMA was hoping to hitch a win towards co-promotion.
1: Boo on the Steep A injury. Stipe. Stipe. Feature
2: piece pitch on auxiliary money tied to UFC performance. It's just something that it says in yeah. parentheticals. <laughs> we'll just move right past that. Is it just me, or is Rothwell the clear loser in what will likely be UFC ranking math once the horse meets the UFC's great Mexican hope? I see a versus said winner, and Ben left holding the bag. I yeah. think that's probably
1: true. Yeah, this was a bummer not only for uh, fans who were going to tune in to the fightpass.com this weekend. Uh, because that that co-main event was arguably the most uh, relevant thing that was going to happen at this at this fighting event. Uh, But I think uh, Wheatland Dan is right. This is also kind of a bummer for Ben Rothwell, uh, who could have, you know, greatly helped his cause and or underscored his case as a potential number one contender if he was able to beat a guy like Stipe Miocic, who is a who is himself knocking on the door of a title shot. Uh, And for whatever reason seems to be a guy that we think of as a more credible contender than, than Ben Rothwell.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean,
1: I think, I mean, in the popular, in the popular culture.
2: Yeah. Well, I think that some of it is that, uh, you know, when you look at his career, you got the, for, for Stipe, you got the loss to Stefan Struve, which kind of happened, you know, fairly early into his UFC career. And it seemed like maybe a normal heavyweight hiccup where you're reminded that anything can happen out there. But some of the fights he's had since then, where he looks pretty solid, even that that loss to Junior Dos Santos could have gone the other way, and it was a hell of a fight. I think we're starting to see more that Stipe looks like, uh, with a little polish here or there. He could be one of those those guys, one of the, the guys who gets a turn with the heavyweight title, and you know nobody's able to hold on to it. But why not Stipe? I think Ben Rothwell, because he's been around a lot longer. Uh, it's harder for people to get a new perception on him, a new perspective. I think they, they kind of have decided who they think he is. Uh, and he has seemed a little different lately, not only just that, uh, the performance is in the fights, but he's doing a little bit more self-promotion in various ways. Showmanship. There you go. Showmanship. And I think that that probably does more to change people's minds than anything. Uh, but, it does seem like, man, for momentum, he really needed this one. He yeah. needed it more than Stipe did.
1: He did. He really did. It's interesting, the point about the showmanship, though, because I feel like Rothwell knows that the showmanship is kind of goofy. We know that it's kind of goofy. We obviously know that it's uh it's contrived kind of an act, and yet we're still into it, right? Like, we know... It's like, we are, we are undoubtedly more interested to watch Ben Rothwell fight now because, uh, of the laugh, the demonic laugh, and then the thing where he puts his hand up in yeah. the air like, like the Undertaker. And then something. goes ahead and answers the questions yeah. anyway. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, if you're Ben Rothwell, you can't bury those Midwestern roots. too <laughs> Like, you're still gonna politely answer the question that's asked to you.
2: I will put forth the hypothesis that while we both know, both fans and media and Rothwell, while everybody knows it somewhat contrived we sitting at this table might know it a little more than ben rothwell knows it i think he might be feeling it a little more
1: hmm.
2: genuinely than than we think he
1: is well i think it comes naturally let's just let's throw that out there but also like when you've had however many fights ben rothwell has had a bunch yeah a thousand and you have never done the laugh and the hand thing before. You've never come out in the wizard robe before. <laughs> uh, when you start then at that point coming out in the wizard robe, then it seems contrived. Okay. If you had been wizard robing it up since the nineties, then we would just regard that as your shtick. Yeah. Uh, did I ask that or did you? You I ask asked that. Dan asked this that. question comes from Phil Austin in Horley, England. He writes, what are your thoughts on children watching MMA and at roughly what age is it appropriate for them to watch it? We often see children at UFC events now. And a few years back, a few weeks back, I'm sure Ben mentioned that his wife and daughter were in the room while he was watching fights. Not implying you're a bad father, Ben. Just saying. I wasn't going to think you were implying that until you said that. All due respect. Uh Movies have ratings because it's not socially acceptable for children to watch strong graphic violence. What the fuck uh, are you getting at? Why, then, is it okay for them to watch two men stripped to the goddamn waist in a cage engage in extremely brutal and often bloody real violence?
2: You say it to my face. Who, who is that
1: again? <laughs> Phil Austin in Horley England. You say it to my face, Phil Austin for Horley England. I guess uh, you kind of did, but okay. I have done this thing where I've the where I've convinced my daughter that all sports are called the ball game, just because I think it's adorable. Okay. She's like three years old, and so she will waddle in during the fight sometimes, and be like, "Daddy, why are the boys naked on the ball game?" But like that's sort of her the the extent to her interaction with with MMA fighting. Uh, and maybe I did that. Maybe I convinced her that all sports were called the ball game because um, subconsciously I felt uncomfortable with explaining the ins and outs of professional prize fighting to my three year old daughter. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, my
2: daughter is not totally aware. Uh, like, she's not old enough to really get what's going on there. there. She'll just come down there. She is though. Uh, old enough now and to see me watching fights enough, especially because there'll be a fight night and, um, you know, I'm trying to do my regular work stuff, but also maybe help put her to bed or like my wife will put her to bed and then have to go deal with the baby. And sometimes my daughter, she's at that age where she can just get out of bed, open her door and stealthily like a goddamn ninja. Come all the way downstairs, uh, and the next thing you know, you know, I'm sitting there watching Clint Hester fight or whatever, and I look over at my, my daughter is going, who's that? Um, which is the only question she seems to ask over and over again whenever she sees, uh, but she will know she'll be like, Oh, the, you're watching fighting. Um, I would, I would like to watch Frozen now, that yeah. kind of
1: thing. My daughter strolls in, like hitches herself up on the couch and is like, Daddy, I want to watch a little girl show is what she says. <laughs> so, uh, they don't seem, they're not going to buy the Sage Northcutt fathead and stick it on the wall in their room anytime soon.
2: Yeah, but I don't feel like they are, or at least I don't feel like my daughter is at a point where she can really understand the violence of what's happening. Like, violence is just such a, a foreign concept to her now. Like, she, you know, she'll, every once in a while, like, will play, fight with me, or wrestle, um, and I intend to do my best to try to teach her grappling, uh, whether she likes it or not. Um, that kind of stuff, but I don't really worry, at least not yet, that there is anything bad about it. As for, like, how old should kids be when they're watching it, I mean, I guess it's, like, how much pro wrestling did we watch as kids growing up? And, sure, it was fake violence, but I sure as hell thought it was real. Yeah. Um, Even though my dad tried his very best to inform me that it wasn't.
1: Right. Thinking that even if we knew it was fake or, or staged certainly didn't stop us from trying to powerbomb our friends. Yeah. At- any opportunity at every opportunity, yeah. That's an interesting question, though. Like, when our daughters become, and now my son and your younger daughter become uh, more sentient beings, uh, I guess that's going to be a bridge we have to cross. I think it's going to be a tougher bridge for you to cross
2: because I don't worry that much about it with girls. I feel like,
1: oh, yeah,
2: like, especially the other day, you know, when my daughter and I were playing and she was punching me and yelling fight as she did it um and that kid's got anger problems my my wife was like hey hey we don't we don't hit people and i was like with that part of your fist here let me shoot." because i i feel like with a girl i i don't worry that she's going to be like bullying people um you know th- the way you see like the boys in preschool they just run around and kind of have no concept of like their own bodies or personal space or anything uh and they're just all over the place and you feel like he can, they have to be restrained a little more with the, with the girls. My main concern is that she won't stand up for herself in situations where she needs to. So when I'm like, all right, no, here's how you punch someone. um, I'm never going to get mad at you for punching a boy. Uh, whereas if you had a boy and you had to feel like, all right, how do I shape his relationship with violence in a way that is useful and helpful to him and yet not damaging to anybody who knows him? I don't worry about that so much with girls.
1: Maybe yeah. I should. I wow, you just laid a pretty heavy trip on me, man. Yeah. You're raising your daughter so that she'll punch her boyfriend when she, he has nude photos of her.
2: I mean, if if my daughter was in that situation and she was like, I punched this dude who took secret photos of me while I was sleeping, you know, you put me in, on that side of it, then I have to feel like I would not tell her like, hey, that's very problematic
1: for your relationship. <laughs> Look at this hypocrite over yeah. here. Jesus, the, hip- the hypocrisy is blinding. I'll I'll take that one. It's dirty. All right. Well, you know what? We're about out of time here, Ben. Uh, We will be back next week. We've got another next week is the last weekend where there's no UFC event. And then after that, we will pitch ourselves headlong into the November schedule where there is a fairly relevant UFC event every single weekend.
2: And we'll have to retire. Hashtag ASGO. Ain't shit going on. Yeah.
1: So I don't know what we'll do next week. We may go back to the. Uh, more common and uh, uh, Expected co-main event podcast Format We may not You might just have to uh, tune in To find out if you get another grab bag Grab bag As for right now though We're done We are through We are out Didn't even Didn't even get around to talking about
2: Poirier and your dude John Duffy Jonathan you know, Duffy You know
1: what I guess we'll just have to talk about that fight After it happens Instead of Pretending like we have spent Any time at all Trying to put together any analysis
2: Yeah Maybe Maybe this is the fight where John Duffy proves that he is indeed Joseph Duffy. And really.
1: Puts it over the top. Proves that he is ready for that lightweight showdown with um, Colin McGregor. Colin yeah. McGregor. You are a Joe Duffy.